into the ground. We're back. Another week. Another great guest. We have renowned artist, renowned collector, and uh, renowned musician Daniel Danger on the pod. What's up, Dan? Hello. How are you guys? Good. Good. So we've been talking about having you on the pod. I think I a few weeks ago I was just like, it's time to come on. (laughs) I think I think you asked to you. I think you asked me right before I started, and it was just like, a, I remember it being a really crazy time at the time, and just being like, I, uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're, probably you're, a, you're a YouTube personality, you're mm. an internet musician guy, you're talking tech. Internet musician guy? <laughs> yeah, it's on your business card. Internet musician guy? Do you have your Internet, own reverb know. page where you uh I, I guess I technically like the show that I do I do I would do a show with uh, JHS pedals called Totally Normal Behavior, which is like a um it's a show that exists within the guitar gear universe but is really about collector mentality um and weird music gear history and things that are not in reality we actually rarely play guitar on the show or pedals we just kind of talk about weird old stuff so for for people um, who might not be aware uh daniel has it's safe to say one of the largest collections of vintage guitar pedals uh yeah it's got to be like top five okay um are you still neck uh, and neck with vincent gallo in terms of uh you know guitar it's questionable collecting? because he says he has more but i'm not sure i believe him I don't believe a lot like, of what he says. He's, he's got liar energy. I, he's got... He's he's a good dude. He's just Is like... He, he's very questionable politics. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't I know. Imagine. I mean... I, have you seen been, a brown bunny? <laughs> <laughs> he's been he's been very nice to me. Uh, okay. Because we're like... We collect the same thing. We yeah. communicate here and there. You're in a and, very niche, insular community. Yeah, like we're... A very specific a, thing. Yeah, there's only a handful of people in the world who collect the stuff that I collect in the way that I collect it, and he is one of them. Um, there's a few others, but um, I've got to be, like, top five at least. Um, I know Josh Scott from JHS probably has the biggest. Oh, really? Um, and then, yeah, and then there's um, there's a woman in California who was an old circuit designer, and supposedly she has, like the second biggest secret like quietly Um, and then i'm probably i'm probably in there somewhere interesting Um, and then there's like gallo there's a guy in france um there's a couple like old school dudes we call him Um, french gallo (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know i uh vinny vinny g's i call him will always be a friend of the pod after starring in that uh that glass jaw video for cosmopolitan blood very loss, true <laughs> the only listenable glass jaw song well that's that's a one i, man I honestly couldn't couldn't name a single glass jaw song well so if you rewind you can uh i have a, i want to ask you something um first of all the are you doing much with the pedal show the 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 the, the jhs the sh- pedal show Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I do a monthly thing with them, and I, I've appeared on a bunch of episodes, and I've got more stuff coming up with them uh, oh. in the in the coming. We're doing a lot of dumb shit together. I love basically. that. Jo- Josh yeah. and I are like Josh and I met, and we're like, oh god, we're best but friends like, forever. His it was- his dumb shit, like your dumb shit, is like my favorite dumb shit. Yeah. Like when I found out about that show, there was already 
years of material. So like yeah. for weeks, it's all I watched on YouTube. And it was yeah. so bad to the point where like my wife would come down the steps and hear Josh's voice and just say, turn it off without yeah. even like... <laughs> my, my- my wife openly calls him like the third person in our in our marriage. I love that. I would love like, that. We just we're we have um. Do you guys know what Marco Polo is? Sure. Like the the app. Oh, oh no. not the app. The no. phone app. So there's a phone app called Marco Polo, and basically like you can send video messages back and forth, where you can have a conversation, but you have a conversation over the course of like an entire day. Kind of like it's it's great for like busy people it's if you're trying to like, like talk something through. <laughs> but it's, it's like, like the, it's like chirping someone on their next tell. It's basically like you can, it's a video app. So it's like you, you, I basically just keep my phone, my computer and you just kind of hit tap and you say something. And then like when he gets to it, he'll respond back. And it's just like, you can have a slow conversation. And we've been having a slow conversation for like two years straight (sighs) now. I love that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've got a lot of stuff coming up with them in the, in the, in the coming months, years, you know, we have some long-term plans. We have some short-term plans. Josh and I are enabling the hell out of each other right now. So. Do you do you have a loud is more better amp? I don't because mm. I have too many amps as it is. Got it. I uh, need less amps. Do you want an amp? Do you want to buy some amps? I mean, the answer is always yes, but uh, yes. I, I I wish I could be a collector. The problem is I get something and I'm you know six months later I'm like I would like something else, please. Um, yeah. So I I have a question regarding pedals, if I may. Okay. Um, do it. Why do you hate the natural sound of a guitar so much? <laughs> uh, like what did what did uh, what did Les Paul do to you? That's what I want to know. First of all, um, it's obviously to mask a lack of talent. Clearly, that's what um, open tunings are for. You got yeah. do better than that. No, it's um. I, I, it's a very good question because it's very real to me. Um, <laughs> like, when's the last I, time you went instrument out, amp channel one in? Oh, co- pretty consistently. Really? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, if I don't actually have a pedal board. Sure. Like, I don't, you know, everyone, you go on these gear forums and everyone's got like, roast my rig and they right. have like a thousand. I actually do Nerds. not own a pedal board. I mean, like I own them, but I don't have one built at any given moment. Right. If I'm doing a tour, I'll build one out. I'll take it apart. Um, I, my preferred method of being in a studio is basically bringing in a cardboard box filled with pedals. And if it, if what sounds best is zero pedals for a part, that's what I'll use. If what sounds best is these three random things, that's what I'll use. And I like, um, you know, that's kind of my approach. And I think probably why I like, why I don't like the sound of pedals. Sorry. I don't like the sound of like the straight guitar is, uh, because like I like Legos and I was always like a Lego kid growing up in these, everything behind me i just call them noise legos because you can just take them and build anything you want in any order and you they're all modular and you can move them around um and to me it's like that's sort of the instrument and the guitar is the controller for the instrument Mm -hmm. um and i don't know like there's a lot of you can if you want to hear a guitar you can hear a guitar sure that's a, that's a like, really interesting way to put it, though, is that the pedals are the instrument, and the guitar is like the is like a MIDI controller yeah. almost. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's and very, I'm like, it's an interesting way to put it. I'm a I'm a good guitar player as far as I'm concerned, but like, 
all my favorite if i was to go through my record like the records that i've worked on and talked about my favorite sections and parts it's actually it's more it's me controlling that stuff and because of the things that i collect are specifically so old school they're like you know i'm not using a lot of like the tiny computer pedals i'm not using like these like crazy digital processors like i'm like building weird shit out of old shit yeah so i always love the, like the metalcore guitarist who has like the full like 16 switch digital processor pedal that is just like yeah. all blue mm-hmm. leds and it's yeah, run through a computer fun. and like a rack mount like a synthesizer why yeah. wouldn't you want that or why would just you to just make chain, it sound distorted <laughs> just chain 17 metal zones together you know what i mean something good it. has to come out the other end right <laughs> i think um, a fr- six, friend of the pod thir- uh friend of the pod scott sharinger mutual friend of the room uh, has been mostly collecting metal zones lately. Get out of here! That his, there's, they're actually, they're, yeah, his his pedal video collection of, has been expanding at a frightening pace. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm. I bet uh, in, indulging him too. Um, there is a video somewhere of uh, of Kurt from Converge plugging in like thirty like HM2s or something like that, and it just sounds <laughs> sounds fucking awful. There's a video I really want to do. I will. I'm sure I'll do it for the JH for JHS at some point. But it's going to be the all grunge show, and it's going to be because I have like I have every single grunge. I have like 30 of them. I have all the foreign bootlegs. I have the grunge amps. I have the grunge multi effects pedals, and we want to do a rig that's like 30 grunge pedals, every single one running <laughs> stereo into two like DoD grunge amps. So and just like just see what the fuck it sounds like. I had like. no idea they made grunge amps. That's wild. They did, yeah. That's it's wild. Uh, it's a little combo with a grunge amp with a grunge pedal built into it, Fuck, and the amazing. amp. I'll be honest, it sounds pretty good. Wow. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me ask you just a quick question. Just the only thing I know about pedals. You ready? Yeah. Are Keeley mods cool? I don't own one. I, I mean, I'm, that is. that's your silent answer right there. Uh, I mean, I don't own one. For but the man like, who owns all the pedals. I Clearly, just, uh, not my, owning one is a statement. But my do you interest, not care about mods? Do you only care about factory stuff? Uh, maybe actually. No, I've never really really thought about it before. But like, my interest in this stuff. I mean, the the brand that is surrounds me at the moment is Electroharmonics. Specifically, the era that I like is like '68 to like early '80s, um, and there are there. A company that you know their quality control was not great their pedals were kind of weird they made strange they made strange strange sounds and like yeah there's things you could do to them to like make them quote-unquote better or sound more coherent but like i think someone like me who has such a interest in like production like you know i produce things for a living i make stuff i i like i think the reason i like this company is because i know so much about the people who worked for them and how they operated and the freedom they were given and their backstories and all this crazy stuff that like to me the interest is like well what was their final product and like that's what i like Hmm. and i don't care if someone can make it better like i want to know what they did in 1976 with the resources they had and that they said everyone said this is great let's put this out and this is the final product and like yeah you can mod them but like i don't know it it seems why change a good thing yeah like Double D, let me ask you one more question about this. Um, yep. You used two very specific gears, and what were what things made those bookends of the years that you collect? 
the start of the company and their first bankruptcy. Oh. Um, and did they sell off me- a portion of the company during the bankruptcy and things changed? Uh, things were just different after that. Like, um, they started in 68, October 68. Um, you know, and this is like, you know, guitar gear was not the thing it was these days. You know, fuzz pedals were like popular, but they are, you know, they were few and far between still. Um, and you know, they grew and grew as a company. They, I think they had a couple, they had two bankruptcies. The second bankruptcy was in, uh, in the mid eighties, I think like 84, um, and then they were bought by like a, a company called Broadway Computer Company, who mm. just kind of like I think sold off their assets and whatnot. And then they reformed in the '90s and did all the stuff in Russia and all that. Um, but like that golden era of like you know the late '60s to like the especially the early '80s, to me is like that's what feels the most like real and big and raw. Cause like all their, you know, you think of a guitar pedal nowadays, they're always really small, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their little computers in them, but electro harmonics pedals were like these giant oversized metal, like death traps. <laughs> um, they were just huge and the big crazy knobs on them, somewhat offensive names for the era. Like not offensive, but like questionable, like, you know, the, uh, Big Muff, yeah, first like and foremost. Muff. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the name. I'm blanking on it right now. But they have a, they have like a, you know, Peter Frampton like talk box, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it has some. Oh, it's called the Golden Throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you yeah. know, by the time I started playing guitar and buying effects in like, I don't know, I bought my first pedal in like '96, '95. The the first time I saw a big muff, I remember thinking, like, why the fuck is this so big? It's so big. Like, yeah. why is it so big? Aesthetics? Uh, I mean, originally, like, there had to have been, you know, the parts were bigger, and I get it. But, like, you know, in the 90s, why are you making, why are you making pedals that big? Because it, people didn't. People didn't have pedal boards back then. They mm. put pedals on the stage. It didn't matter. Like nowadays you get these people like there's such this culture around like having this like perfectly giant oversized pedal board that's perfectly wired and everything's neat and clean and how much stuff can you cram in there? So like the style for guitar pedals these days tend to be like these like, you know, as small as possible and they have microprocessors in there and whatnot. But back then it was like, you know, if you had a pedal, you had a couple maybe, and you yeah. just had them on the stage and they were stringed together and you wanted to see them and you wanted, they wanted to be heavy. So when you stomped on them, they didn't move away. Right. You know, they, these pedals back then, electroharmonics had like rubber mats on the back of them to keep them from sliding around. Um, I think it was just also like, um, in the era in which they were building them, they were quite literally just going to like a company. There was a company called AUL in Brooklyn in the late sixties who made a lot of these early pedals. And they were, they were a company who just made like electronic equipment. They didn't make music gear. They just made big giant metal boxes that were filled with, you know, stuff, you know, electronics. And I, when, you know, Mike Matthews went to them and said, Hey, can you start, you know, can you manufacture this stuff for me? I think they thought that these were small, like to them, the size of a big muff was small right. to them versus, you know, the things that they made, which were big electronic test equipment. So I think that was just like a cultural thing, but to mm-hmm. me, it's part of the aesthetic. Like sure. they were, they were big. They were, they commanded attention because they were this big wet metal wedge with like, you know, fluorescent colors on it with like, you know, questionable 
70s sex terms <laughs> on them. Um, well, I loved uh, I loved the one you made. Uh, I think it was a video for JHS where you made like what would be a vintage pedal of like how it would have been made yeah. in the era with in, complete with like getting the design and using like available like rub on fonts and just <laughs> that whole process was fascinating and like the least part of the process was actually the wiring portion of it you know yeah yeah we wanted to do something really old school so we just like pretended you know, we were, we're joking that we were like cosplaying or role playing that it was 1973 and we're like you know let's make a pedal Let's let's pretend we're electroharmonics employees in 1973 and make an octave fuzz pedal because they never did that. So we were oh, like, okay. that was something that was missing from their catalog. Was you know the super fuzz? All the Japanese Shinai pedals were taking off, and they're like electroharmonics never jumped on that. So we're like, well, let's make an octave. Let's make an octave up fuzz um, because they never did that. So we're like, let's get into the headspace of like what what they would have called it, what it would have looked like, what the graphic, how the graphics would have been done. And then we made six of them and actually had them, we manufactured cases and screen printed them. And, so um, cool. And then surprised Electroharmonics with them. Did, did you ever get anything, any response from them? Wink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's, that, we'll that might be we'll one of the cool yeah. things that hasn't been announced yet. Yeah, wink. It looks like we did. <laughs> anyway, um, so before we started, we were talking about Smashing Pumpkins, specifically the song Silver Fuck. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that song. What do you love about that song? If you love that song, that's a, a you know, it's up to you. Um, it's a good question. I, I like that, like, it just sort of barrels along and goes through a lot of weird little changes and then every single every single step of it is kind of a, an iteration of the last but kind of morphed and there's all these weird it's one of those songs that sounds deceptively simple cuz it's just kind of like you know it's the one big riff right that just keeps happening over and over and over again and then the the you know the chorus is just two it's like two chords really right um and if you listen to it on its surface level then that's what you hear. You're like, oh, it's that song where there's the one riff for like, you know, what, how, how long is the song? It's like nine minutes in yeah. reality. Yeah. And like, you know, and that's what it is. But if you start listening to what's behind everything mm-hmm. and what's stacked under and the little loops that are happening and all the weird little effects, like the song just takes on this completely different, um, I don't know, there's just so much more to listen to. And... That's how uh, that's how I feel yeah. about that whole record. That that's that's a it's a masterpiece. It's the greatest yeah. one of the greatest rock records ever made. I, w- I was listening to um I put on Melancholy cuz Melancholy came out at a time when I was just not listening to that kind of music. Uh-huh. Like I was so firmly in like Lookout Records pop punk at the time that like I to me was to me Melancholy was like I don't know, just like it was just like something it was like too much. Right. It was just like I, I I just thought they were kind of a ridiculous looking all, and I like alt rock for theater kids. Yeah, exactly. I mean I on all of my friends were theater kids. I was a theater kid, so it was like Oops. they were all they were all super <laughs> into it. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not offended by this. It took hundred percent correct. Like I was I was it just wasn't for me, like I liked bodies because I was like it's the closest thing they have to like a punk song. Right. Um and so much of that record was just totally lost on me. And when you think of like um, zero, which is just like at the time, that's all I heard. 
And I don't think I was really like appreciating how fucking weird that song is when you kind of step step behind everything and then listen to like the way that he you know inflects his voice and the, the song sounds kind of sarcastic and it's really like there's so much strange choices going on there where it's like you know 40 year old me can step back at it and go like oh that song's fucking great because right. it's so strange did you um, ever come back around on like we only come out at night yeah i can't know, do it I can't do it. I, yes, yes, and no. I, I'm 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 firmly one of those person, one of those people who thinks that like that would be a, a killer single record, and instead it's like there's just so much like, like uh, I don't know what the word is like doilies. So you know it was weird. <laughs> it's weird too because the like companion uh, singles that could have all you know all those singles could have formed a whole another record. Um, mm-hmm. some of those songs are better than songs that made it on melancholy. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I probably don't know any of those. Set the rate of Jerry. Uh, Oh wow. Okay. Let's back up. Were those on like the airplane set? Okay. Yeah. I know of that, but I only like said, I put on melancholy like some, like a like, couple weeks ago, like I bought a new truck recently. So it came with like a free serious radio thing. So nice. I was listening to the one station on Sirius that didn't make me want to fucking stab people. Alt nation. Um, what? Alt nation. Oh, I have lithium. Oh, I don't lithium. Have oh that's yeah, lithium. that's like the yeah, yeah. '90s alt rock yeah. station. And so I was like, I was, I was opening up a lot of rabbit holes for me of like, like, if, you know, for example, Zero played, and I was listening to Zero for the first time in probably a decade, and I was like, oh, this song's kind of fucking banger. Right. It's just so weird. Um, and then it was forcing me to listen to a lot of stuff. So at some point in time, I like revisited melancholy. I, Kali, I revisited Bush as a whole. Oh my I revisited God, me too. like I did. You know, yeah, like I went, all, I went through recently. Yeah, I, <laughs> I bet you did. I think the thing I was the answer, the question I was, <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the question I was asking myself was, do I actually like grunge, or do I just like Nirvana? You know, or you just I like think the pedal. I think about this yeah. a lot, right? Like I, I watch a whole lot of like 120 minutes comp mm. YouTube videos and stuff, and I think that like there's a confluence there of two things that are, that, that is everything I like in one, you know, I sort of like filth and I like, uh, I like noise, but I also like a lot of melody, you know what I mean? I Mm -hmm. like a lot of just like beautiful textures and I feel like grunge nailed that completely. Like super unknown. You know, if you go back and listen to super unknown, it's a, it's a flawless record. Yeah, I, I just like, you know, uh, it's also like the, the the kind of bands I was listening to at the time were just not that. So a lot of the grunge stuff just seemed like a lot, even 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 though it like wasn't that, it felt very bro-y to me at points. Right. Like, you know, the Pearl Jam always felt very bro-y yeah, to me. That's for sure. Um, uh, I, you know, Alice in Chains didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soundgarden didn't really do it for me. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots didn't really do it for me. Like, it, it was just, it wasn't my thing. And then I started, like I said, I was sitting back with it recently. Going, do I actually like grunge or do I just like Nirvana? So I kind of started going down the rabbit hole of revisiting stuff. And then mostly what I, where I landed was that I still really like Nirvana. Bush is better than you think they are. Uh, the toady and the toadies are the best band of all time. Uh, look, I, I come from the water would have been a great single. I don't know if it was a single, but it would have been a great single. Um, uh, what was the second band? I, I missed. I 
Bush. Bush, right. Razor Blade suitcase was better than 16 stone. Fucking hell yeah, it was. Like, Swallowed is, like, was their legacy song. Yeah, Swallowed, um, Bubbles is on, like, the Mallrats soundtrack, which is a great fucking song. There's a lot of, like... so fast. It's, like, 30 BPM faster than any other Bush song ever written. There was, um, you know, I love the fact that, like, we can all pretend. We don't. Sorry, we don't have to pretend. Like Bush were a little bit kind of posery mm-hmm. in in the truest sense of the word. They really wanted to be Nirvana, but they were like too pretty and too not sketchy enough. Right, they wore to satin pull it off. shirts, like paisley yeah. shirts and shit. <laughs> and like so, they and they uh, all weirdly had the same hair, except for the guy who had no hair. Yeah, who now is like who like quit music and like owns a music store overseas. Um, Wonderful, but like Bush. The lyrics are gibberish. You just, you right off the bat, you're like, you just don't, you don't worry about the lyrics. They're gibberish. (laughs) They don't make any fucking sense. They're just like someone writing what they thought was deep poetry. But man, that dude's could write some fucking hooks. Right. And they're, and. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say like, and they do the thing, like Nigel did the thing that I really like about the toadies too. And I, if I look at all of my favorite music of that era, that does this very specific thing that there's a guy in the band whose sole job is to play weird noise and feedback. Right. <laughs> the toadies, the toadies have a guy, um, I'm blanking on his name top of my head. Cause they've had, there was two guitarists who played kind of the same way. Um, all he did was just like feedback and pitch bending and like whammy bar stuff. Like in the, every single song is just like, there's people playing a straight song and then there's a guy making noise <laughs> and the book bu- and Bush got, uh, you know, um, uh, what's Gavin. Gavin is just playing the straight song, mm-hmm. and then there's Nigel's just making the noise. Nirvana? Uh, Kurt's just making the noise. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. My- Kurt's making the noise, and, uh, and, and Pat is the one who's playing the song straight in the background. Yeah. Um, the, what's your favorite Nirvana record in utero? Uh, am, I, am I trying to inception that on you? Yeah, right so you're. No, you're, no. Yeah, I'm going to have to say it's Incesticide, even though it's really right. debatable whether or not that is, a, that is a record. I think that was the record that, like, caught me the most. Because, once again, it's, like, the weirdest of them. Sure. Um, if uh, I'll tell you the, like, the, the record or the recording that made the biggest impact on me, and this will tell you so much about me, is that my older cousin, Tom, he's got, you know, he's got a handful of years on me, and he was... You know, he handed me a lot of his like cassette tapes and his, you know, his bootleg records and all that stuff. And I was up in New Hampshire with him at like our like family little cottage on a lake. And he had this big cassette, you know, cassette holder of all these cassettes. And I had my little Walkman and he gave me a cassette that was, um, I think it was Incesticide on one side. And the back half was a recording of a concert. And it was just 45 minutes of Kurt just like smashing a guitar and just making <laughs> feedback and noise. And it was just like drum, bass, and just like chaos. And I swear to God, I was like, I was probably, you know, like 14 or something, 13, 14. And just listening to that over and over again, just being like, I can't believe anyone would do this. <laughs> like the idea, like to me in my brain, it, he was the only person in history of time who'd ever smashed a guitar or done feedback. Like that was my introduction. I to haven't it. seen it since and, Phoebe Bridgers did it on SNL. And I was, <laughs> I think a, 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 you know, a kid who, you know, 
might not be so well off might have enjoyed that guitar i think she should have donated she, that. she gets so much shit i feel bad for phoebes um yeah have you ever i smashed think she's guitar? doing okay <laughs> oh yeah I, i've i smashed plenty there was um there was a fun a fun thing was that uh on the we did a landscape did a tour with sound of animals fighting right before covid um i think the winter before covid and I brought. It was like our first time doing. And you mean um, you made saddest landscape, not landscape the uh, British New Romantic synth band. True. Yes. Of uh, yes. 1982. The saddest landscape. <laughs> uh, we were doing a tour of Sound and Animals Fighting, and we had we we didn't have to bring amps with us because they were like it was all like tour backline stuff. So we had a lot of extra room for. So I brought more guitars than I usually do. So I brought, um, I brought this, the two guitars that I use, which are just ju- like junk Squire vintage modified series that I've put nice pickups and good bridges into and, and modified up. And then I had this like $100 like Squire uh, Mustang that I bought, which sole purpose was to just beat the shit out of. Oh, you um, went through so many guitars on that tour, if I remember correctly. I, I broke I broke every guitar. Um, <laughs> well, it I was just like, just I think posted that's... multiple pictures every night of like, you just throwing Oops. your guitar across the stage. Yeah, no, there's there's this great shot. It was like, I think the first, the, our first night in that tour, I, I broke a string on the guitar mid-song, um, and I just took it and I just like whipped it over over Aaron our drummer and I kind of like didn't realize how that guitar is so much lighter than every other guitar that I play and I didn't realize how far I had thrown it and I threw it in the solid like 25 foot arc <laughs> over the drum set and then it landed like it landed on the back of the stage and just completely broke in half and so I brought it I brought it back to Guitar Center where I, I you know I brought it to a Guitar Center where I bought it and because I had bought the 20 the 20 dollar like unlimited warranty they just gave me a new guitar fuck off and they were like they were like what happened to it and I was like oh it fell off the stage cuz they were so like they were so because uh, I had I came in with like you know like laminates and shit on my and you know they're on my they're on my belt and so they You're were like just so shaking like shaking chips of a guitar yeah, out of a bag. Yeah. Like, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> well, it was like I, I went in and I was just like I had like you know laminates on me and shit, and they were like, "Oh, you you play in a band?" And I was like, "Yeah, we're playing at the Bomb Factory or whatever," which is you know it's like a five thousand cap venue or something. So yeah. They they automatically assume they don't ask any questions past that. Like, oh, this must be a famous musician here. I'm like, no, I'm in the fucking direct support band. Yeah, um, but as long as you don't come in with like you're like girlfriend in tow to watch you sit down in the middle of guitar center yeah. and like play a couple riffs so just, on, a, on a mess like a, a triple boogie like <laughs> a triple rectifier i think you're and then walk yeah, right well, back out like you're you're somebody yeah you know i went in i went in i brought the guitar and i was just like yeah it broke and they're like what happened i was like it fell off the stage and i was like yeah Not the bomb untrue. factor that, yeah, the bomb factory has this like you know this like nine foot stage that you know and it's like a it's a riser and on the back it just drops off and I threw the guitar and it crashed and then slid over and then fell off um, and it just completely broke in half um, and they were just like all right cool you have a warranty and so they did the warranty for me and how it works is that they like basically refund you 
the money and then you buy a new good it's weird so it's not like an exchange I, it's like a refund yeah and repurchase. i hate yeah. that but it's better so than when you w- when they give you the new guitar they give you a new warranty with it which is strange <laughs> so i was like so if this happens again you're gonna give me another one and they're like yep it's completely different warranty and i was like okay good to know so uh, pr- for the rest of the tour i just beat this shit out of that <laughs> so so uh, they look many? at this and they're like they're like oh in no way does this look like user error <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, it, there's a difference. I mean, it was a difference between me like smashing it and like you know, like you know, you think uh, you know, uh, Townsend at level like smashing it yeah. versus like I, I whipped it in the air and the body cracked in half. How, how, um, did you ever exchange it any other times on that tour? Uh, I didn't break it to the point of having to exchange it, but both of my other guitars on that tour got wrecked. Um, I mean, we're rough with our instruments in that band. Um, so I made do of sorts, but when I came home, I brought the, there's a, a guitar repair guy in my building. Um, and I brought him all of the guitars and we're like, sorry. <laughs> and were they all able to be rehabbed? Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing about most guitars is that like, if you, if you break a guitar and you repair it properly, it's probably stronger than it was. Nice, yeah. Um, so they're all fine. I mean, I broke the headstock off one of them. Um, and then the other one, uh, like something got caved in on it, but like those guitars for me, especially in that band, like the reason I play cheap guitars in that band is because I can, I don't have to worry about them. Like if I fall into the crowd and I, if I flip over something, it doesn't matter. If I throw, it doesn't matter. If Andy and I start having guitar duels on stage, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, because the expensive stuff is the stuff that you can just unscrew and move into a new guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you never so, had, like, playability issues with those? Uh, I mean, you know, I wouldn't go on stage unless I knew I had a backup or two, and right. I would just gauge accordingly. Um, I mean, it's part of, you know, I don't want to be like it was all planned or anything, but, like, I just don't want to feel like that I can't do what I want in that moment because of like a logistical concern. Like I want, that's why I play a cheap guitar. So if I want to just drop it when I'm fucking tired of it, (laughs) or like, you know, if I, if it falls off an amp or I don't have to carefully put it on a stand or give it to my guitar tech, I can just be like fucking throwing on the ground over there. Well, that that is always so funny when you see people who are like, they're in a punk band and they're like, oh, like their van gets broken into or something. And it's like, yep. oh my God, my $6,000 flame top Les Paul that my grandfather yeah. passed down to me got stolen. It's like, why the fuck did you bring that on tour in like a 15 I mean, passenger to go play at yeah, like, and like, you know, a, Roanoke, a- Virginia and... <laughs> And like, of course, yeah. Someone, some fucking junkie in Virginia Beach broke into your van, <laughs> but it's like, yo, you, that stuff that stays in the studio. <laughs> like, yeah, don't I mean, bring that you, shit on tour. You, uh, you can play a power be... chord on any other guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I have, um, I have like legitimate, like you know, expensive guitars. Like I have like vintage Fenders that are worth a lot of money. Yeah. They don't. They don't leave my house. They only go to studios. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, all of our, every instrument that Andy and I play, all of our guitars on landscape, they're all Squire Vintage Modified. They're all, like, two ninety nine guitars at yeah. most, like, retail. And we just, like, we put better components in them that can be swapped out very easily. Exactly, and it's yeah. just sort of, it gives us a lot of freedom to just, like, to be reckless, to, like, not worry if, like, you fall while crowd surfing or you smash into something. Yeah. Just, like... 
you know, and no one, no one likes that feeling of like you have this brand new guitar and then you put a big ding in it and you're like, oh, oh yeah. Like, I mean, that was that yeah. was kind of uh, back when I played in the metalcore band. Like I would play three guitars because I'd break like at least two strings every set, like no matter what. Mm. Um, and you know, same deal. Like I had a my like one of my it was like my second guitar and it was an Ibanez AX120, like a little double cutaway ash body. It was super light, but that guitar never let me down ever it was so mm. i would fucking do the guitar spins with it uh <laughs> and <laughs> you know all the, all the metalcore gymnastics you got to do in a metalcore band but literally did you have a did you have um a, a wireless light, a light show yeah <laughs> oh a wireless, I, I never yes, had a wireless also. yeah i know i knew you did dude tell me about your yeah. pe- tell, me, tell me about your uh your pedal board in your I actually never band. used the pedal board. I've owned tell, tell No, yeah. You I bet you had a Sonic Maximizer. No, I rack. I literally Oh, you didn't? I had the 5 the the 499 uh Randall half stack. Uh that honestly the the gain channel on that sounded perfect. I never needed any other pedal besides a tuner. I've owned like two pedals my entire life. One was an acoustic simulator. Which sounded like absolute garbage. Ooh, garbage and the yeah. second one was a was a, a Gaia tone tuner. I think the thing about that specific era of like metalcore was that like you didn't need your guitar to sound good. You just needed it to sound like a like punching a metal oh, plate. No, that's exactly it right. Was just, it was just you know the bass drum sounded like a helicopter and yep. uh and my guitar just sounded like a chunky, like, you know, quick attack, low sustain punch. Yeah, if the converge chord sounded good, oh, and it you, did. Were, you were and we good used to go. It, and oh, we it overused did. it. Um, before before we move on to a band who has never even heard of tuner pedals, um, I want to ask you about about friend of the pod. Fan, uh, our we're fanboys. Oh, that's wrong. But <laughs> Dave, Dave Knudsen. Yeah. All right. Are you a fan? Do you like his work? I am. I I like his work as a player. I'm not super familiar with with his back catalog as well. Do like you, I I know I know him more as a modern guitar player than I do that I could name botch songs. Okay. Right. So my question is, like, is he is he playing those pedals? Like, are those, yeah, those pedals are, his instrument? Those are his instruments. One hundred percent. Who else is doing that? At that level, uh, Joe from Giraffes Giraffes. Not even familiar. Are, uh, they are a two-piece crazy person band from this very neighbor. <laughs> Sorry, from this very neighborhood, um, and he's he's an incre- Joe's an incredible guitar player, and it's that same sort of thing where like what you hear versus what he's playing are not the same thing because. He is he is full on tap dancing with like looping and holding things and stretching this and pitching this up and moving it around and at like you know you watch you watch you know is it Dave or David I don't even I uh, you, we call him Dave. Dave. Yeah, yeah. let's call him minus the bear pedal guy I call, I call, minus the I bear pedal guy D, but yes. um, <laughs> when minus the bear pedal guy is playing he's kind of he's he does. Specifically, the 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 deal for yeah. mm-hmm. is what he's using, um, and it's very much just imagine it like him playing an MPC sampler with his feet. Right. It's no. It's really no different. Um, it's Joe has sort of a very similar mindset of like 
his you know his feet are doing something that his hands could also be doing um and arguably it's crazier i know it's it sounds crazy but like crazy how could be. um i mean is he if he's in dl4s like or is no, he using, he's like, like vintage stuff no he's using like um like more modern like boss rc 20s i think we, we and, have the technology we can play a giraffe's giraffe song right now what's what's yeah, a good one to play yeah. i want to know what this sounds like should I play the um, their one that has almost 3 million listens on Spotify? Sure, play that one. All right. Oh, that's pretty crazy. I don't know if I could listen to four minutes of this. It would be better if they could play their instruments right. <laughs> this is fucking boring. No, this is incredible. I like No. They are... They are they're a two-person band, and they will pull this stuff off live flawlessly. Wow, okay, that's um, crazy. And... Is it instrumental, or are they vocals? They they have started introducing vocals into their recent... Uh, they, they've been a band for, like, 20 years. Um, but they've been, they've been introducing vocal stuff into things recently. And the great part about it is that, like, when I say that it's, like, 90s-influenced vocals, I don't mean early 90s. I mean, like, that weird, like, 98, 99 era of, like, it sounds a weird kind of, like, dissonant and, yeah. like, industrial it almost. Kinda, it's great. It kind of reminds me of... Are you familiar with Invalids? No. Very, like... Like, very tappy... Oh, and then it goes Scott. That's and then, awesome. it goes and then, then it's a Scott band. Oh, God, I um, hate this. Holy that's watching, shit. Watching, uh, watching Duras play is like um, uh, Ken, their drummer, he's one of those guys who can play like a different time signature and tempo in each limb at that's, the same time. That's wild. And it's, it's fucking madness to watch yeah. him. Well, that, uh, that was something uh, that was pretty wild was... Funny of Fashion Week's coming back up soon. By the time this episode drops, I think I'll be kind of in the thick of it. But last Fashion Week during um, who Eckhouse Lada had their 10-year anniversary show like in a literal abandoned building. And they had mm-hmm. Brian Chippendale play the drums for the music of the runway show, which was unreal. I saw some of that, yeah. I never thought... Well, um, I, he was also the nicest guy on the planet. Uh, but no, I they're, never they're, thought they're I'd all get super to, nice. I never thought I'd get to see... like. I guess it'd be technically like his black pus kind of stuff, but yeah, an unreal musician. Another person like playing pedals with his left foot while playing the bass drum with his right. See the thing about the thing about like Brian is that like he, Brian the bassist, not Brian the drummer. Uh, Brian the bassist is like what he's playing with his hands is fucking insane. Oh, the, the, his yeah, pedals the are like nuts. are you know they're not. They're more modulating the instrument versus, yeah. like, you know, like I think, like Dave or or Joe from Drafts is like, you know, the the pedals are really the kind of yeah. their own thing. I think if if you um, can see that live and play it like, that's a whole other level of appreciation because yeah. it's got to be just pure controlled chaos. Are you yeah, guys- I mean, I saw, I saw Giraffes like two months ago, and like they're them playing a bunch of their new record, and I've like I've seen like you know like five person bands who couldn't pull off what they're pulling off. That's as, like just just the two of them, and there's no backing tracks or anything. It's just like all like live looping and building Jesus. and structuring and bending and you know this and that and this and that. Um, man, I miss Lightning Bolt. Now you mentioned them. <laughs> Apparently, Fucking... they're still technically together. Oh they're, yeah, they're, they're still they're playing. Oh, are they? Right yeah. Now? Damn. Yeah. I just I just haven't seen them in a yeah. long time. Yeah. Well, but good lord. I... So so I remember. Yeah, walking into that like it was in an abandoned grocery store. 
at Essex <laughs> Street Market, and uh, I I walked in and saw just a man behind a drum kit wearing that mask, and I'm like, oh fuck, is Lightning Bolt about to play? Yeah. This is insane. But it was only half. But it was still like an unreal experience. My my favorite place to be at a Lightning Bolt show, and I was able to do it more than a few times. Was I would go and I would stand with my hands like this is like Lightning Bolt play on stages now. They don't really do the pit thing anymore. But like way back when, like I would go to a show and I would just I would be the person holding his snare side tom in place. That was my favorite place. Is that a thing he would have the the audience do for him? Oh, because yeah, because like you know the crowds are so crazy in those days when they because they would play in the audience. Is that his drums would move around? (laughs) So it was like. It was pretty common that if you were like, if you were su- completely surrounding, if you were, you were right up on the drum set, it was sort of expected you had, that you should hold you had an something. Obligation to keep you had an obligation <laughs> to hold things in place. So I love like, that. I like at least like three or four shows. I was I was the person holding his his snare side floor tom, and there's something very visceral around not only just like being so close to him doing what he does, yeah. but like it resonating through your whole body. Like I know I saw like Sun O O O O O once <laughs> and I was like I never understood their records, but seeing them in person when yeah, I was, it totally was like different a, experience. It was, they, they played a theater they played a movie theater in Boston and it was like this it looked like this shady seventies like smoke filled, dusty, yep. crappy movie theater. And you're feeling your your body is feeling the sound in the room, and every time there's sort of like a dissonant note that's slowly moving, you feel the stuff kind of moving through you, and you feel all that changes. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, just a hundred year old asbestos like, dust raining down from the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you have bronchitis every year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the first time I ever felt Papa, that. Papa, I got the black lung. <laughs> I think the first time I ever felt that was uh, was going to see broadcast. And I was like, I don't know, late teens. Yeah. That was the loudest band I've ever seen. Yeah, Lightning Bolt is like you just it's just like getting beat up without getting beat up. It was incredible. Like I think I was just like punishing myself. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm sure I did like legitimate damage to my ears seeing that band alone. Yeah. Every day that I wake up, I wish Dan Bassini would get beat up without getting beat up. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, I, you know, we've been plowing through it I so think far. I, I, I'd be remiss, though, to, to not bring up the third part of, of Daniel Danger's repertoire, though. And uh, we, we got to talk a little bit about your the gig poster empire, the tiny media empire, if you will. Yes. Uh, so I was, I was kind of filling Andrew in a little bit on your backstory. And I mentioned that I watched a gig poster documentary on Netflix a few years ago. Yeah. To to my ten years ago. To my disbelief, there was just like a twenty minute, like a good portion of that documentary based on you alone, <laughs> and uh, it was not something I was prepared or expected for. And I'm like, oh, did you not know going into it? You no, just I like, had no idea. I was just like, oh, this and is you something knew me I'll at probably, the time. Right? I knew yeah, you, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you never told me you were in a documentary. That's usually the first oh, thing yeah. people mention to me when they introduce themselves. Yeah, that was a fun time. Like, um, this guy Scout Shannon uh, wanted to do a documentary about. Originally, he wanted to do it about how personal um, events in an artist's life change their art. Okay. Like, um, so he found. Three artists, primarily in like, you know, people who did gig poster work, but also um, uh, like personal work. And he wanted to see like kind of like what they were doing, something that happened to them and how it affected their art. So for Jay Ryan, 
um, it was he was having the birth of his first daughter, um, and then, you know, before, after. And then there was Kevin Tong, and I don't quite remember what his narrative was, but he ended up not ending up being in the movie. And then it was me, and it was uh, the death of my friend Grace. Um, so they they started shooting this documentary, and they spent like a, they spent a couple weeks with me. And then in the process, the as they were interviewing more and more gig poster artists and more and more this and that, like kind of the focus, you know, the original idea of the documentary sort of like wasn't quite working out, but they realized that there was this great kind of community that they could kind of present. And um, so they started, they, they shifted the focus over to being a documentary about more about gig poster artists and like this resurgence of that scene. Um, so I end up having a pretty prominent role in that. So I show up, I'm wearing a really embarrassing hat the entire time because my dandruff was really bad at the time. <laughs> what, uh, what was the name of the doc again? Do you remember? Uh, just like being there. Yes, that's uh, right. Directed by Scout Shannon. Very cool. Um, it was a, it was a really fun. It was a fun thing to be involved with. Um, it definitely um, helped uh, bring uh, a, a nice shiny light on me for a couple of years because nice. I got a lot of um, I got a lot of uh, fans or new fans through that sort of thing, and it was it was cool. I I had a blast with it. It was really fun to shoot. I wish there's like there could be an entire documentary made out of like the B roll of that because I gave them a lot of weird shit. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, just, yeah. I remember watching it and being like, "Oh shit, okay, <laughs> it's pretty wild." But yeah, I like uh, you've recently had a slight pivot, uh, maybe not voluntary pivot, into doing a lot of jam band gig posters lately. <laughs> and I, yeah, I noticed the- you were followed by Lotmart, and that was my next question. Lotmart, Lotmart. What's uh, that? I don't know. It's a. Uh, it's like a. I guess like a Dead and Co. Grateful Dead fan, yeah, that does bootleg stuff or you know good, you know boot shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I I've been I'm doing gig posters for about twenty years now, and I did a lot of like you know cool indie rock bands early on and blah blah blah. Um, but you know in a post COVID world, the shows that are doing the best and the tours that are doing the best are the outdoor venues they're the big those big things and the jam bands uh they're the ones with the most the budgets and the um, how to explain it like the arrangement in which those posters get made is like very beneficial to me not just like on a financial level like there's a lot of things that kind of go into it and it's what makes the most sense like i know it's not a genre of music that i know anything about or listen to but i kind of get i get why that audience seems to really respond to me because all my work was very like natural and slightly like slightly ghosty spiritual and um there was an organicness to the subject matter that i think the you know the people who like trees and woods yeah yeah it's 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 pretty wild to see so many people like my age and younger who are like into the grateful dead now so i think i think it was friend of the pod uh jesse maz who we uh we talked about the maz collective as it is uh Mm -hmm. before we started recording um she she posted a bumper sticker i think she got recently that said like i i saw john mayer play with the remaining members of the grateful dead bumper sticker (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was I mean, real that summed it up really well. But it's 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 wild to see people who are like in their early twenties go into fucking like city field to see Grateful Dead. It's like what are you I doing? Mean, is it is it, it is it, it is, weird? Though. I don't know. I, I was talking to um at the gallery I do a lot of work with, uh I was at an event and Jay Blakesburg was there and he's like one of the OG photographers of Grateful Dead who now does all the fish shit and he does all, you know, the dead and co stuff. And he's like, I'm like, Hey, what do you think about like the insane resurgence of like dead and co now with like younger people? And he's like, yeah, man, kids just want to have fun. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. okay, Jay. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> like, mean, I, I think I, I, you know, there are certain bands who like, they stop becoming bands and start becoming like a moving festival. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's just kind of like you know, um, you know the the fishes and the Dave Matthews bands and trays and all and a lot of those jam bands. It's like, it's you talk to those people, and the more of the more of these posters that I've done, and I've started meeting people who kind of run like, um, you know, they run fan groups, so they run, oh, it's like an industry you know, little, within itself, groups. yeah, yeah. And it's like you talk to those people, and you realize that it's just like. Oh, this is the thing I do with my friends. Like, it's like, we, yeah, we go to all, we go to, you know, to band X and we all hang out and we make a weekend of it and we like get hotels and we have meetups and we go yeah. to restaurants. And I it's mean, just like, we're all you know, adults versus in our me 30s being like, and 40s. Like, yeah. it, it gets hard to have a, a weekend with the boys, you know? It's yeah. just, I don't, like, we have neighbors who, who have gone to see fish like 20 times this year. And it blows yeah. my fuck it. Like they went to uh to Mexico City to see them play five nights. Mm-hmm. And I was like like explain it to me. But that's the thing, is there's, I, not a, there's not I, a single band that I am a fan of well, that I would want to see. Like maybe f- I would go see five days of a Fugazi. <laughs> well, but that's like, the thing with fish though, is like they they have songs, but they re- like live is a totally different thing. Like I don't understand yeah. the band. But I don't think I'd ever go to a fish possibly... show. But they like literally peep in that community. Same with Grateful Dead and like the tape trading days. Literally, it's like, oh, did you hear them play? You know, I couldn't even name a uh, a Grateful Dead yeah, song off the top of my life head. Life boy, life boy for thirty eight minutes. Yeah, or yeah. Something. But did I you hear it, it but... from the November nineteen eighty two? You know, it's show. just a different minded. It's just completely different minded group of people. Yeah. Like, I but like I see every bands. Live I performance like performance is like a new record for them because it's so different. Yeah. yeah, I just like I'm you know I'm firmly of the camp of like. You know, I go see bands I like, and after thirty minutes, I'm like, wrap it up. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, yeah. percent. You know, I want to go. Ho- I want to go home. I want to be in my bed. I don't want to have to well, deal that, with parking. I want to like, leave before the parking lot gets full. When I hear people and it just like talk about like seeing Bruce Springsteen play for four hours, I'm like, I can't imagine man. seeing anyone play for four hours. Yeah, we have see we the, have the difference is for next year, and I'm already yeah. like, if he for, plays for more than two and a half hours, yeah, no for way. for four yeah. hours, I could see you know 12 hardcore bands in that time you know and i don't want to do that either that's a whole hell fest yeah that's a, a whole ass hell fest i think that i think that actually might be two hell fests <laughs> yeah the um i it, for me it's just like you know, those people are good with people they're good with the outdoors they're good with public situations i am not so also, like, I, think, 
you they're know, on just a ton of drugs. So like time doesn't drugs even exist. Definitely you know? help, true. It's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I, I've, like I said, I met a lot of people while doing these posters. Um, cause like I said, I've been doing nothing but jam band posters, which is funny. Cause I just don't listen to jam band music. Yeah. Um, but I've met a lot of people through them and everyone's just been super nice. And I kind of get it where it's just like, Oh, you do seem fun to hang out with. And like, you do have a, you do know how to have a good time. Like, like, I personally, I don't know how to have a good time. Like, I don't know how to like go go see, out and like. Do you see these pedals? This is a singular activity. This is I I, I spend is, my days cruising eBay. Yeah, this like, is my I know, fortress like, of solitude. That's a, that's a simple. It's like my um. This girl is I went actually to high, an intervention, Daniel. We yeah. bring her to talk to you. This makes sense. There's a girl I went to high, well, high school with who like loves Dave Matthews Band and oh, like she's loved Dave Matthews Band since day one and. Oliver, like every time she's posting, all of her weekends are like she's having a good time on a boat with her friends. Everyone's having a good time. They've got drinks. They're barbecuing. They're on a boat. They're on a concert. They're on a boat. Like, like she's having a good time. Everyone's got that one friend who's Great. always on a boat. Always yeah. on a boat. Holy There's, shit. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't argue with that. Like I'm not, I don't know how to have that kind of fun. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not fun, I guess. Yeah, fun but, is fun is relative, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll off the jam band stuff in the near future just because I'm like. It's all I've been doing uh, for the Satia reunion shows that are happening in November. Like I like wrote them, and I was just like, "I will make you a poster for free because you're not a jam band, and I need to do something that I like care about." <laughs> all your it's entire like, discography fits into one fish song. <laughs> yeah, like my, one of my favorite bands of all time is Swing Kids, and oh, it's like their yeah. entire discography is like 16 minutes or something <laughs> like that. Like that, their entire their entire band's recorded output is like 16. Oh minutes. man, imagine like, if you let us talk about Swing Kids instead of Cloud Dude, United. I went to, I went to, I flew across the country years ago when Swing Kids reunited for that. Like, uh, there was a book release of some kind. I forget what it was. It was at the the Glass House in Pomona or whatever mm -hmm. that place is called. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, and Swing I, Kids did that YA novel. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I was living in Boston at the time. I flew across the country. I like you know got a rental car and a hotel and i met up with friends and i had like a week and i like went to the show because i was so excited to see swing kids and then they played and then i was like oh shit i forgot they have 16 minutes of material <laughs> i flew across the country to watch a band play for 16 minutes and then they were like done and i was like ah shit i don't i don't know i don't know at least throw who, a cover in there to round it out to 20 like come yeah, on i forget who I forget who headlined that show it was like Unbroken maybe or something. Okay. But like I was like I don't know who this band is. Like I don't know anything about this. Like I came I flew across the country to see Sing Swing Kids. Back to the hotel. Like, yeah, back to the hotel. Man. That's oh. like as long as it takes you to drink a beer. <laughs> I like I like that we could like jam bands is like, you know, they'll like people will have this complete they'll 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 know not just like a hundred songs, they'll know a thirty versions of those yeah, hundred songs. Exactly. They'll have a complete working knowledge of every, you know, every time these things were played. Like, oh, they haven't played this version of it since like '68. <sighs> you know, blah blah blah. And I'm just like, I don't even remember 16 minutes worth of Swing Kids mm. lyrics. Like, I. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a totally different mindset when it comes to musicianship and like music enjoyment. Which is cool that yeah. it is like it's beyond a different genre. It's like a totally different like just style of musical output you know it's it's like yeah. it's it's like anything else that's like a hyper specific genre like it just becomes your lifestyle yeah you know what yeah. i mean like from the years of 96 to it becomes your death style eventually too. yeah <laughs> from yeah from from 96 till uh present i would say you know death kept for cutie has formed a lot you know uh, 
the promise ring has formed a lot of like the way I act daily. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My All pants right. are cuffed right now. You'd never know. <laughs> I, I yeah. you know, we talk a lot about making merch on this podcast, and I think I think one of ours has to be uh my lifestyle determines my death style, like space your face, uh Grateful Dead head. Yeah. Rip off or merch. the promise ring album cover. <laughs> This promise ring album cover, but instead of nightmare, nothing feels good. It says like my lifestyle determines my destiny. I'm I'm down for all of it. Wow, we've Sounds been talking great. a lot about the promise ring on this podcast. Hellfest has come up multiple times. The promise ring comes up multiple times. We haven't mentioned Jade it- Tree yet, uh, but I'm sure it's mm. just around the corner. Good job. Yeah. We're we're <laughs> obligated contractually there's to mention a, Jade Tree. There's a theme yeah, here. Yeah, Epitaph is cutting checks every time we mention it. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, all right, so this was actually a, a the, the album you chose was kind of a curveball. Uh, yeah, for a pedal man. Yeah, the first a, a, thing I was like, these guys don't even own tuners. What, what do you What do you do? No. So yeah, you, you wanted to talk about Plow United, self titled Plow United. Yes. Um, explain to me why. Explain yourself. Um. <laughs> I it's it's kind of a weird thing because it was like, like I said I grew up. And I, you know, I got I got into music kind of late. Like music wasn't really a part of my household. Where did you grow up? Um, by the way, I grew up in Massachusetts, okay. like rural Massachusetts. Um, but my parents didn't like you know my my parents didn't really listen to music around the house. I had like you know like some like you know Beatles novelty records growing up, but I didn't really you know it wasn't a thing. Um, and then at some point there was um, there was a band from my area, like a local band from my area called the Westies. And there were a bunch of kids from my high school who were a couple years older than us. And they practiced next door to my best friend, Jake Clay. Um, and they, they were, like, just the nicest dudes. And they were very, like, hey, like, they, they gave us a lot of stuff. They brought us to shows. They, like, they really, like, went out of their way to involve these kind of younger, uncool kids in what they were doing. Um, so they, they let us borrow a lot of records. They let us borrow a lot of stuff. Um, you know, and they, they taught us like, you know, they taught us how to be a pop punk band. They're like, here's the four chords you need. Here's the, <laughs> yeah. here's how to tell a drum. Here's how to write a song, you know? And they, they really, you know, I'm sure, you know, those, those handful of guys are like literally quite legitimately changed the entire, like, uh, I don't know what the word is, like direction of my life, um, in those years. So they played, you know, they showed us a lot of like, um, you know, Lookout Records stuff. And Lookout Records pop punk was a very specific thing because it was basically like the Saturday morning cartoons of of punk. What what like, bands for reference would you say? Like Screeching Weasel, The okay. Queers, uh, you know, Groovy Ghoulies. <laughs> oh, God, uh, yeah, I, yeah. The Pansy Division, you know, uh, Operation Ivy, Green Day, etc. Like there was like a lot of these. A lot of these bands, it was kind of like, um, you know, Screeching Weasel was a band who had like 38 songs on their record and not a single one was about anything. Um, <laughs> like, I don't get me wrong. I like, I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for that band, even though I know Ben is kind of a, kind of a dick. Um, but like, they didn't, I was, I was constantly surrounded by this music that was like meant a lot to me, but I had a hard time connecting with, and it was like what all my friends listened to. And that's what our little crappy band played. And like, you know, we, that's what it was. And then I remember at some point in time, I was at this guy, Jamie Fitzgibbon's house. He was the drummer of the Westies. 
and there was like a, a cassette you know a cassette was playing and he's he said like you got to listen to this band and it was it was Ply united and he played me the song martin which is 60 60 seconds long including like a 10 second long sample yeah um and the song is just it's just four chords the in, in the same order the entire way through yeah just like a box and formation sounds, power, uh, power chord yeah it's, it's like it's just it's the simplest thing it is rocket speed and it, it sounds like a dude having a panic attack about like identity crisis um and you know is we can we can swing you know we can swing the word emo around as much as we want oh and we do um, but like recklessly. we do, we really do. Like, we, so it's we, like in, in my in my like a weapon i i thought about it later and i remember i, I had a um i went to warp tour like an early warp tour and there was like a, a sampler cd that was given out that was all ska punk bands and then mineral what, and what was, was what 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 was the comp do you it remember was called cool cooler than your mom cooler than your mom yeah and it was like two CDs of just ska punk bands and then Minerals Parking Lot. <laughs> and I remember hearing, I remember like I had my little Discman and remember getting to Minerals Parking Lot and like, like my DNA changed. I was like, what the fuck is this? And it was like, uh, and I, I, in my, in my, my personal history, it always kind of marked that moment. Like I remember I could tell you exactly where I was. I could tell you what color I was in a white Ford Econoline van in a parking lot in like, in uh, Brattleboro, Vermont, going like, what the shit is this? It was, this it is was your 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. It was your Kennedy assassination. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I always, I always pin that as like the moment I like discovered like, oh, like, you know, a lot of punk that was around Massachusetts at the time was like, it was the, it was 90, 95-ish. It was all street punk. It was Dropkick Murphys, The Trouble, The Bruisers, you know, et cetera, Ducky Boys. It was all this kind of music that was quote unquote like supposed to be counterculture but still felt very like uh um outwardly focused about like being tough and fighting and stuff and i just i it's what everyone around me was listening to and i was just kind of like yeah i like i like this but i you know i was i i didn't and uh i always kind of had pinned originally that you know mineral um you're probably you know, hearing that maybe like 97, 98 or something like that was like when I discovered, when I would discover quote unquote emo. But looking back now, I realize that like finding this Plow United record in 95, I think, because uh, so I probably heard it in like early 96, was like, oh, this was a record that like um, was trying to address inward thoughts a lot of the record is like the um the singer like trying to figure shit out a little bit um and it felt it felt like a panic attack the music vocally and lyrically felt like someone really at in in trouble and at like war with themselves a little bit and but it was still like fun and crazy and like they clearly were doing whatever they wanted like musically like it didn't necessarily abide by any specific genre like especially coming from the Massachusetts like punk land where like you know street punk was you had to these were the rules of street punk you had to sound like this if you wanted to be a lookout records pocket band you had to sound like this and this was a band who was like 
not really genre hopping, but not being afraid to make a part sound kind of like a rockabilly part and the next part sound like a thrash part and next part sound like, you know, like a country western thing. Like they were, there's, they were just kind of weaving around. It felt erratic. It felt kind of crazy. Um, but I heard the song Martin and the, uh, it just like hit me in a way that like to this day, I don't really know what the song is about, but like, I feel like it was written for me. Like, I don't know how to explain that. Like, it's just, it hits this certain, certain, certain part of me in it, you know, to this day as it did back then of like, oh, this is me in a song. This is how I feel. This is how, this is my energy. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to love this band for the rest of time. Uh, and so I, I heard that song and it was like, you know, I felt like it, it, theoretically, like in my brain, I went home and I took all of my lookout records and like threw them in the trash. Like, I didn't really, but like that was when I was like, no shit. Like this is like, I'm tired of outward focused music yeah. about like, you know, these like whatever it is that bands like those kind of pop bands were even singing about, which half the time was just like, you know, uh, you go through a screeching weasel record and you listen to the songs. And you're like, what the hell is this about? Like, right. And I didn't, it didn't make any sense. It was fun. But it didn't. It didn't mean anything to me. It was, and then, listening to this record, I was like, "Oh, like this is about something." Um, and it was about like certain, you know, you know, everyone has one of those songs they listen to, and there's like one line in the song that's relevant to you, and it be, that song becomes so important to you, even though it's very clear, given the rest of the lyrics, that none of the li- <laughs> the song isn't actually about that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's that one line. Um, and there's like a handful of songs in my life that like uh kind of you know they meant that to me and there was just something about something about Martin this like 50 second long song that seemed to be about like having this sort of uh uh troubled identity relationship with a friend I don't know it's like I don't even to the sake that I, don't, I still don't even know what it's about I just know that like I heard it and my brain was like this is you this is your song like this is uh this is this is important to you and it's going to be important to you like this person is expressing something but they don't know how to express it but they're expressing it anyways like they're doing it in this sort of oblique manner they're doing it kind of plagued in metaphors and they're getting something there's clearly something that was inside them and they put it in the song and they push it out into the world um and it now it's in your skull forever and then i went to the 95 warp tour and i went to this was back when you could just show up the warp tour with like your record distro and like sell records which is you certainly can't do nowadays and there was a booth there i had just finished seeing rocket from the crypt who to this day are still one of my favorite bands and i went to the rocket from the crypt booth and i bought a skateboard which someone stole from me years later and i'm still Mm. mad about it and then i went over to this record distro booth and i was flipping through and i saw this ply united record um and i hadn't actually heard the whole thing at that point i'd only heard like one or two songs off of it so i bought it it was like you know i think it was like you know seven dollars or something i still have it my copy is like destroyed oh hell yeah we love it when people show us their records also a theme on this podcast Um, different album art than the one on spotify by the way well this is the original this isn't that remake crap (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is this is this is ninety five press creep records, bro. Um, Wait, so I b- creep records did that? Yep. Wow. Yep, creep. Uh, so does it have twelve then, tracks on it? Yep. Okay, because it yep twelve. There's some songs on the one on Spotify that don't sound. They sound different. Like Game of Chess. Well, I, is like 
it sounds like it was recorded a on a four track live. Totally different. That recording. was a that was a bonus. That wasn't that was like a bonus track that they put on the remastered version. Like it's on the record, it's on the original pressing, but it's not on the CD for some reason. Oh, it's if remastered. Um, <laughs> it's it's the worst yeah, sounding yeah. song on the record. I know. <laughs> That's what, you know. There was something just like. And then I like took the record home and I listened to it and it was kind of like every song was like that yeah. to me. Like, yeah, every yeah, song yeah. was like, I don't quite know what this is about, but it feels like it's trying to say something that's really meaningful to me. And I took little things from it here and there. And I definitely took that um, as a little bit of like a, a writing prompt going forward about like, oh, we can make like meaning like, you know, once again, this is like pre me learning about, you know, the jade trees and the minerals and the promise rings of the jade world tree, and being like... <laughs> And being like, oh, I can write like, I can write like punk songs. I can write like really like uh, frantic punk songs about like my like complicated teenage feelings. Um, and, and then I continued to do that for 20 something years. Um, but yeah, this record is just like crazy important to me. Um, I made, uh, I made a little like, you know, tripod.com fan page for Plow United oh back in like, the late you gotta, in the 90s. You got it. Because there was no website for Plow right. United. And that was like, Probably you know, someone had. Probably still isn't besides Wikipedia. So I like made a little like web page for them and I put their discography and I like collected all their records. So I like put pictures of all the scans of the records up and like, you know, what little information I could find about the band at the time. There's still not that much um, information out there. Like I tried to look up no, very, like, lyrics for this and there isn't like any complete lyric no. sheet. Um, no. there, there's a lot so of they did, songs that aren't listed online. It's, it's yeah. pretty, pretty wild. They broke up in like... 98 or something like that they put out they put out a full length a ton of seven inches like um they put up a, they put a seven inch with the band weston if you're not familiar oh, we with know. them we know i was weston. you know i was yeah. about to say when you were talking about finding this and you know i had that was weston for me um, yeah same west same west and i would find right after right. United. like got yeah. beat up for me was that like holy shit moment yeah it's a fucking amazing record um and it was like if you you look back at the shit that you were listening to in the era mm -hmm. of like weston and Plow united weston you know even maybe a little bit more so was like it just felt different and i i realized like i realize now looking back that like i keep thinking that my like you know like emo records origin story was mineral in that van but no it was like weston and weston and Plow united a couple of years earlier i just didn't get it because to me it was like oh they're a pop punk band right um, but they're not really. It's like this, you know, ply, this record sounds like a panic attack. It's every song is 30 BPMs faster than anyone should play it. Mm -hmm. um, they're a complete, they're a runaway train uh, in every time they're playing. You know, they, they seem barely capable of playing the speed that they're playing <laughs> in this. It, like he's rushing, he's stepping over his own words. Everything just sounds frantic and crazy. And yeah, by the end I of think, the song, you can hear him out of breath. Like, yeah, 100%, you know, they're like, yeah. It's like the quality is kind of like not great. The recording is like messy. It's clear that they went into the studio. They probably banged all these songs out in like four hours. And like, you know, whatever, like 14, 15 year old me with like, you know, at the time completely unchecked mental illness and like ADHD and all these like neurological things whose brain was firing on all cylinders at all times. Like, I was like, oh, I found a record that sounds like me. It sounds like my brain. <laughs> it's just like, it's really like, it's, it's, it's at war with itself. It's really struggling with some like emotional shit. And it's just, it's off the fucking rails, you know, like, There's, and it, it wasn't metalcore. Like, personally, 
I like this style of pop punk, you know, this Weston, Sam, I am, um, even like jawbreaker to a certain extent, like was a splinter in pop punk, like bands mm-hmm. like this made other pop punk feel bro. Like it made you other, did, yeah. other punk feel like, I don't know, like stuff from, uh, you know, like sports clips or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it just represented like an aggression that didn't make sense to me. I didn't have that growing up. It it revealed, it revealed some stuff about like the punk culture to me that I think is kind of real interesting where it was like, you know, like discovering a record like this, discovering, you know, discovering Weston and and a few other kind of bands around that, that era, like, like, Oh, like, like street punk is dumb. (laughs) Right. It's street punk is like, this is a fucking show. This is a charade. This is posturing. This is not me at all. Like, this is everyone's just wearing a goddamn uniform. Nothing anyone's saying is real. And then a lot of like the like the lookout record stuff that had real idolized just seemed really childish. And it seemed like, you know, suddenly Screeching Weasel and the queers and all that seemed like goofy right like um, ben weasel ben weasel will hit a woman for throwing ice at him uh i don't think brian mcgee would do that no <laughs> yeah i mean i mean ben weasel's had some questionable politics for years but i mean whatever so, so um funny enough uh actually my i was getting my haircut today right before we started recording and then my uh my barber <coughs> shout out zach west uh he was like, uh, he was asking like what what the podcast has been up to, and uh, I was like, oh yeah, we have our my buddy Daniel on the pod, and we're talking Plow United. He was like, oh shit, yeah, I'll uh, I'll tell Brian to check it out. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what do you mean? And he's like, oh no, me and Brian are good friends. Uh, I I played guitar when he did his like solo stuff, and I'm like, oh okay, yeah. you were in Brian out, yeah. McGee's band. Apparently, he was an Asbury yeah. dude, which is wild. Yeah. And uh, there was like this so, uh, very specific era of like spec- specific like geographic location of all these yeah, bands yeah. and like everyone knows each so, other. So uh, yeah. yeah, Brian, uh, if you're listening, come on the pod. What's up? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I saw them. They did their reunion shows. Um, I missed the 2011 ones uh, just because there was like across the country or something at the time. But they did a reunion show in 2013 when they did like a new record. And I that was the first time I'd saw them because um, I was like too young to drive down to fucking rural Pennsylvania to see them in the 90s. Um, so I saw them and I like, introduced myself and I was like, Hey, like I'm the guy who made a webpage of you like in the nineties <laughs> and like, I'm, a, I'm still a huge fan. I'm, your, I'm, still, your I'm still your webmaster. Still your webmaster. By the way, uh, you owe me, you, you owe, owe me $10 me. a year. Um, yeah. So they like, you know, I, it was, it was great to see them after all these years. Um, I remember they, when they were writing that, that new record, um, they made some pom- they made some comment on like Facebook saying that like hey we're working on a new record and I I commented like make sure to play every song twenty BPM faster than you can <laughs> and and their response was like oh that's so true <laughs> I mean there's something to be said for playing like if you're not a technical band you know you got to play to like the edge of your ability somehow yeah. so yeah there's but, you, 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 oh no go on I was like uh, you know it's funny because they're not like you're they're not they're not a technical band they're not the tightest band on the planet but like you sit there and listen to their drummer he's he what he's playing is crazy oh yeah insane it's fucking crazy because it's so like i don't want to call it overplaying because it's like not what it is but it's like you know you think of uh i don't know i don't know how to explain the beat but like do you know the band tiger army 
Sure. You know, like every fucking drum beat is the same drum beat. Like every goddamn punk band like has this one beat that they just play over and over again. And they defined like what I liked about Planet's drummer was that like um Sean is just he's just crazy. Like he's just he's going nuts the whole time. And then he gets and then it'll be like a forty second blast beat. <laughs> and then it goes back <laughs> yeah, to like yeah, yeah. he sounds like he's playing like jam band music almost like at like triple speed like it's so like flourished and crazy and the band but they're playing like 230 bpm right. or something like that and he's like <laughs> and then like their their bassist joel is like doing all these weird like like bass runs that are like like they're kind of corny but they work so well mm-hmm. and it's like the aesthetic around this band was like man like they're gonna do whatever the fuck they want like you know i you know, especially coming, like I said, from like the Boston punk scene, which was so regimented, yeah. tone out, like tonally, and it was such a like you had to sound like this, and like you know, if you wanted to be a Boston street punk band, like these were the rules, and if you wanted to be a Lookout Records band, these were the rules, and if you wanted to be a metalcore band, these were the rules. Like they were like, we're gonna do whatever the fuck we want, and it's so clear listening to their discography that like song by song, like everything sounds so drastically different, which is really a rarity for a pop punk band in that era to be like there is a hard difference between every song on your record like there's you know there's an overarching umbrella sound but like they sound unique and different and like chaotic and there's little tone out little things kind of interspersed here and there and i really appreciated um that sense of like you're not going to tell us what to do you're not going to tell us how to express this um it felt way more true to like the the quote-unquote idealized version of punk which is like actual rebellion against the culture around you even if that culture is punk yeah right, you no, know for sure there's no i've never seen i mean maybe hardcore like youth crew hardcore but besides that there's not a single other genre that i've ever seen that's more like cannibalistic yeah than like <laughs> pop punk oh yeah yeah i think you could take like any number of like you know, pop punk bands from Florida and just, you could take their record, put a different band's name on it and fucking no one would know. No one would know. <laughs> Be like, oh, listen to this record and it's like, you could play a record by a completely different band. They're like, yep, that sounds right. <laughs> like, I'm really glad we're over that weird era of pop punk where everything was just like, this song's for my friends and eating pizza. <laughs> oh my oh, God. No. You remember that one? Pizza pop punk oh, was man. a cursed era. Yeah, I'm everyone had those little, like flipped up biker hats. Yeah, going we're just to the next show. Oh my god! <laughs> you could write, an, you could get like an AI robot to like uh, write one, like a hundred, a hundred records. You know, I I don't know if you know. We talk about it a lot on the pod, but the way uh, Rivers Cuomo writes songs is uh, is by Excel spreadsheet. I feel <laughs> like pop punk's not that far off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. So. God. Yeah, this this is one of those bands, and we've we've talked about it before. Uh, for me specifically, it's like when you start to find the the touch points and the influences of the local bands you used to see that yeah. were like you know influenced from a band a generation beforehand, and it's like this was one of those bands. Like I could pick out like a ton of local bands that sounded like this record. And yeah. it's like, oh, that's where that came from, you know? And it, it's always yeah. fun to put those pieces together. Um, I really think... Because, yeah, like, I... In high school, like, early... Like, middle school, early high school, I did listen to, like... When you're like, oh, what's a punk band? And it's, yeah, people say, like, Screeching Weasel, The Vandals, like, band Lagwagon, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And um, it's not stuff I really still... Like, it didn't make an impact on me the way some other 
things did. I mean, there there are some good Screeching Weasel songs. Like, Hey Suburbia will pop into my head on occasion. And There's some great Screeching Weasel songs. And uh, It's just unfortunate, you know, the, yeah. the people involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, hey, just uh, like the Ataris. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. that a is that a sick burn? I didn't mean uh, that no, that's to be pretty a good. Sick. I don't know. I, I, I don't know anything about the oh, Atari. No, yeah, the, the bass player of the Atari's got like arrested for like doing a real estate scam or something. It's oh, I something do remember really that. weird yeah. and white collar. It's what very strange. It, what an insane band! And that's not even uh, the count the singer yeah. being like a, a psycho person. But uh, what's it called? Uh, you guys familiar with that band, Dry Jacket? Vaguely. They're South they Jersey, were a right? Hopeless, yeah, hopeless band. The the Adam played drums in Hartwall, also my old band. Um, <clears throat> to make it about me, <laughs> um, but they opened for the Ataris at the Lanes, the show oh, that uh, yeah, the famous show flipped out. Yeah, threw the drums off stage. Yeah, mid-set. oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a fucking nerd, especially. Oh yeah, he like to he, go like, and like the drums off the stage, and then like was like. Fuck it, I'm doing it myself. And like, yeah. kick the rest <laughs> of the then, band off the stage. And then days later, uh, went and did like a YouTube, like a public YouTube explanation. Oh my God. And then the drummer came back with like a drama, a dramatized version. It was, <laughs> it was, it's so like, you know, I'm in my 30s when this is happening and I'm like, this is the kind of drama that I wish I could see every day. Yeah, that's incredible. God, what a good time. Uh, do you guys I love have- that I, oh, go on. Oh, sorry. I was, I was, because I pulled out my pile of Plyo United records, of which I have many. And in the middle of that was my copy of the Swing Kids 10 inch. Amazing. Like one of like 12, 12 that I own. Um, <laughs> if I was to suggest, if, uh, if people go and listen to Plyo United on their band camp, you know, it's going to take six, it's, I think it's like 18 minutes or something, the, the first record. Um, they, uh, where record did this? Um, Paper and Plastic label oh, reissued. Them in a long time. Um, they did drummer sleep, of uh, they did Plyo United Sleepwalk a retrospective, and it's like the first record and the second record and a bunch of the seven inches all in one big thing. And it's like, you know, not that this is like a particularly you can you can buy this record, but like they're it's old and beat up, whereas this is like a much more good sounding thing, and it's pretty available. Um, yeah, I just recommend it. It's just it meant a lot to me, and their follow-up records did as well. So, what's your what's your favorite track off of uh, Ply United? Is it is it Martin still? It's it's still Martin, okay. yeah. Um, and uh, it's simple. Like I said it's four song, it's four chords, just like the most basic thing. And I I will always there's something to be said about taking four chords and like making someone feel something for twenty no thirty. Wait, how long has it been? Twenty almost something years. Thirty years. Right. Yeah, like almost thirty years. Like they they wrote it's a fifty second song long fifty second long song. And I'm still thinking about it thirty years later of being like, God damn it, that's a fucking good song. That's awesome. Can you just play it while I just like sit here and I close my eyes and go, Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, fuck yeah. I mean That reminds me, Marty. You better not come to the amplifier. There's a slight possibility of overload yeah so there a minute exactly yeah, so the when they was done and our parents are confused and i wish i was me and you wish you were you so something put my arms around myself and i feel down holding you i'm holding you i'm holding you i'm still doing the things that i'm weird when they ask me how do you do and the ones who are looking for me you're getting good and you
That's the song. That's it. That that's a run into the ground first. Fuck. You know something I noticed during that is just like you know he's when he's yelling, it's not aggression. It's like no. I gotta get this out of me. Yeah, so yeah. Bad. It's pan. Like, it's, it's panic. so immediate. It's fucking incredible. I'm no. feeling something right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, that's what I, I definitely appreciated it more that I listened to it. And yeah, the lyrics, like I love the repeated lines. Like it just like punches it into yeah. your head. And that's the same thing with, yeah, with Spindle. I think Spindle. That's kind of what people I think consider to be like the single off this record or so. Yeah. Um, or at least the one that has the most like attention to it online. But the if I could treat you like shit and then you'd love me forever is like <laughs> such a good line. Um, I yeah, don't what is, know that I like that line. I mean, Dan. I I felt that a lot in high school. <laughs> Contextually, in the song, um, I'm trying to think of which is it is. Um, Uh, what is I'm trying to think of the song that uh I think it's on is it on narcolepsy? Yeah, what can you play the first like ten seconds of West che- Westchester Nuclear Winter on narcolepsy? Yeah, one second. Uh it's just like it plays these pretty chords and then it's like a two thirty BPM blast beat for like ten seconds and then a song starts. And he just screams entropy over and over again. even begin to imagine the amount of times i've seen them live really like growing up yeah growing up in south jersey Mm -hmm. uh you know we used to go see shows in wilmington we used to go to see shows in newark and and philly and westchester so i've seen them play interesting so many times just there was like they were like a it was like a train that was off the tracks within right. 10 seconds. Like, and it wasn't like they were like, they weren't sloppy. I mean, they were like a little sloppy, but it wasn't, they weren't like incapable of playing. It was just like, like they got to the show and he was like, the vibe of that band was so much like, this has to get out of me right, right now. That has to get me right there's, now. And we have to just go. And it's like, there's a difference between sloppy because you can't play versus sloppy because it's urgent or like sloppy yeah. because it's emotive in that way. Yeah. You know, um, like it's, the band sounds like a panic attack to me, right? And I like, as someone who is like very anxious, and at the time, especially like when I was like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and there was like I couldn't, I didn't know the stuff that I know about myself now, and I didn't know why my brain was doing the things that it was doing. Like I'm like, oh, like this just makes this this feels like me, right? And I imagine they probably felt the same, hmm. like. It didn't, it wasn't, you know, I, I have always had a really hard time a, a, a connecting to like angry music, you know, in the same way that I have a hard time connecting with like happy music, you know, like it just, it, I didn't, I did I wasn't angry about things the way that people were angry about. And I wasn't happy about things the way people were happy about, but like the, the, the very, very specific emotion of feeling like, um, like I'm having a fucking panic attack and there's all this shit that's inside of me and it's blowing up and I'm blowing up and it all has to go somewhere. So out it goes. Um, that just like, this is just like the perfect fucking band for yeah, that. That's, you know? that's interesting. Cause when I think about 
music I like. I, I think I don't like anger either. Um, but like in a different way, you know what I mean? Like anger in the sense of mad ball or, uh, yeah. or, you know, crow mags or something like that's not anger. I don't care about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anger Indian summer or anger, you reversal man who we've been talking about a lot. Like that's anger. I get and that's anger. I understand because that's like, that's like universal anger. That's daily life anger. Not like, yeah. you know, I, not to say that crow mags, not to say that, uh, JJ wasn't singing about everyday anger, but just it's stuff that doesn't make sense to me, you know. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't connect with me with being like a you know like kid who grew up with like an art teacher father in rural rural Massachusetts who like liked going to antique shows, like <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't this this the New York hardcore like internal politics fighting, you know, even when I took, I, I lived in Rochester, New York for years, and there was like you know. And be the the height of probably like uh um like the edge break list and all that stuff. The it was edge like, break why list. Are, <laughs> yeah, oh, why, I why, thought about why, that in so long. You don't, wait. You don't think about the edge break list every day. Oh um, I will now. Like you know that like I didn't like I was like oh god I like I have fun at these shows but like what is any of this about like what is the culture around this is so strange it's so posturing and it's so and it's like all I ever really all I ever really understood and you know was like my own shit and and then like a band like this felt like oh like we're on the same page here like you you get something in me a little bit i get something in you um and i wouldn't feel that away you know after listening to this this record when i found it like i'd start feeling that way again discovering like 30 degrees everywhere nothing feels good Mm -hmm. where it was like i felt like people were saying things that i was feeling in a way that was like you, you, you know, like the the very specific way of the promise ring lyrics was sort of like talking around a simple thought through this like metaphor mm-hmm. that masks it entirely. So the lyrics seem almost like gibberish until you start kind of like pulling it apart. And the fact that some promising songs were like the lyrics were like two sentences long. Mm-hmm. Like I could just sit with those. I could sit with those two sentences for like, you know, I had a, I had a crappy job working in these parking lots and I would just sit there with my headphones and like listen to like oh, those songs yeah. over and over again. I mean, and like, Pull my, pull them apart because it sounds like it feels like both variations on a theme, and then also like word association. But we don't know what the word is. You know yeah. what I mean? Like when you listen to "Bees for Bethlehem" or you know uh, anything on the back, I feel like the back half of that record is a little less literal. Um, mm-hmm. You know the 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 it's sort of front loaded with songs that make sense. I mean, he's, he's telling like, you exactly what kind of trees they were. Okay, right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He's telling you exactly what color the chimneys were, and where and where think, they were. I think it's like um, there was there was something about you know the, the promise ring lyrics where it felt like he was communicating things the best way he knew how, and that wasn't like for most people. You know, the pizza pop punk bands of the universe, they're going to speak very forward, like, I'm angry at you, I'm angry at this, I like my friends, I like my van, pizza, etc. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> and I felt like, like, Davey, there's, you know, there's something going on there where he was just like, he couldn't, he didn't know how to say what he wanted to say in the most obvious, simplest sentences. But he knew how to say it in this really roundabout um, you know, his way of communication seems very different. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't seem like 
this is 100% a lyrical decision about writing pretty lyrics. It seems like, no, this is how he communicates. Like, right. this is the only way he can say the things that he wants to say. And I know, and I, I, the more that I've gotten older and I've kind of met people um, who kind of work in this way, I realize that, like, yeah, there's a lot of people, myself included, who don't know how to say the straightforward thing. We only know how to communicate through uh, bizarre metaphor and, metaphor and imagery and, like, referential things where it's like you're saying something to evoke emotion rather than just saying that emotion and like that's a very specific thing and like uh you know that connected with me the same way too i didn't know how to talk about my my feelings uh, back then i still don't know how to talk about my feelings in today but i can i can use weird words and strange references and like and and tonal pieces to kind of get you in the, at least in the ballpark of what i'm what i'm feeling um and like you know, Promise Ring was the first band to make me to make me think like, oh, like I, I get this too. Like it was it was a little bit further down that same rabbit hole of the Ply United put me in, where it was like, this is about something. It's it's speaking to me a way that I don't quite understand, but I know it's speaking to me. Like I don't know the language yet, I don't know the vernacular yet, but like I, it's no doubt in my mind that like our eyes are locked and they're saying, listen to this, listen to this more. It's gonna it's gonna get you. It's gonna mean something to you soon enough you're going to figure it out um it reminds me it reminds me of a i think it was a podcast or some interview with uh with john loudon from restorations where he was talking about you know when you're a band on tour you're going to see you know sort of your contemporaries the people in the audience are going to be people who are like most likely pretty like-minded but but at the core of what you're doing you're 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 a grown adult person going around singing your poetry at strangers and <laughs> yeah. like when you think about it through that lens and you look at like the promise ring like that's beautiful poetry, you know, yeah. Blake Schwartz and box specifically from jets to Brazil. That's beautiful poetry. I may not understand, you know, what the, what the thought is, but uh, boy, can I, boy, can I appreciate the phrasing, you know, boy, can I, I appreciate was, the, the picture? Yeah. I think there was something about that era too, where it was like this, um, this, a very a kind of open invitation to be like, you know, I think like, you know, there's all these alt rock bands in the 90s who would use that language of like, oh, it's my, you know, Kurt's poetry, Kurt's blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But like in coming from the punk world, that wasn't acceptable. It was like lyrics. Mm -hmm. You're writing lyrics. They need to rhyme. They need to be in four eight bart stanzas. Like, you know, this is the form of it. Um, and, you know, you could sit, but you can remove uh, Promise Ring lyrics entirely from the structure of the music and just like sit with them and enjoy them and they work entirely on their own um and like you know that that opened up the ability to like well i'm going to write lyrics before our music is ever involved or so i'm going to write you know words before music is ever involved like i'm going to sit here and fill journals and little notebooks and you know text documents on my computer with gibberish and thoughts and they'll find a home eventually um and i don't have to worry about like I don't know, uh, abiding by abiding by lyrical rules, um, and it made in a sense like writing freeform prose a perfectly justifiable and acceptable way to write lyrics for like a hardcore band. Man, totally. Man, this is deep. And then fucking Satia came along <laughs> yeah. and then just put a did a straight up poetry book. Yep. And this has been another episode of Deep Thoughts with Daniel Danger. <laughs> um, any final thoughts about Play United? I I love that it's short. 
Uh, we're recording. So we're recording short. a second yeah. episode uh, later tonight uh, of a record About that was record seven, 70, seventy minutes, minutes long. <laughs> so it's Fuck very nice that. to be able to get at least you know. Uh, a, a good amount of listens in in a pretty short amount of time to really get the, the handle of this. My favorite genre of film is the hard ninety. Okay, classic. It's the best genre, tight. You know the tight hard ninety, and uh, this is sort of the you know the tight ninety of um of music. It's like you're in and out in the time it takes you to eat a sandwich. Mm-hmm. You know you're How good. How fucking long you- does it take you to eat a sandwich, Daniel? Well, if you're listening to a good record, nineteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's that? Um, one, what's one that? Uh, I don't remember the name of the record. Beat. I mean, maybe it's like the, just like the rampant ADHD in me that just like appreciates that. Like, I want to sit with a full record, but it's hard. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, there's a handful of records I've discovered over the years where I'm like, oh, this is perfect because it's four four fucking songs. Or what's that? Um, what's the name of that band? Uh, I'm gonna blank on it now. They were like a popular indie band in like the late 2000s or like 2007s. I'm blanking on it. I can't remember. Animal but they wrote, they wrote this record that <laughs> it was not Animal Collective. Ah, what the fuck was it called? It was just in my brain. You got to edit this whole thing out because no. now I just embarrassed no, 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 no. This is great. This is what I live no, for. No, <laughs> This is actually the cold open. Um, God, I. The record was one of the records called Elephant. Oh, uh, ear um, or elephant sounds uh, like Animal Collective. Not, to- or, not Tokyo Police Cop, Rah Rah Riot. No, are you thinking um, Elephunk, the Black Eyed Peas? No, I, I am. Th- it, was, it was it was Tokyo Police Club. Oh, right. <laughs> what's that? What's that? Fir- you can wrap all of your arms and legs in. That's what's all. that first record they did? That's oh, like super short and fucking perfect front to back. That's um, the only record by them I know. A lesson in crime. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like it's seven songs. It's like really, it's really short. It's sixteen minutes long. That's it's same a, thing. That's like, not an EP. I think. Well, I mean, seven songs. Hmm. I guess it's an EP. Either way, it's sixteen minutes long, sixteen and a half minutes long, and it has the same kind of same kind of vibe to it. It's like you're just in and out before you know it. It's great. You've you've had a little journey. <laughs> We've all learned something. We've that's all how learned I feel. Something. You know. Uh, I know this is completely leaving the subject to play United, but a record that makes me feel like that is that, I don't know if you like the Gloria record. Like the first post mineral. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. That, that first EP or first, you know, seven songs or whatever. Perfect. You know, you're in, you're out, you felt the vibes. Everybody won. Let's go home. Good game. I have to Google something now. Uh Oh, (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Black Eyed Peas. Ele- <laughs> I never. Oh wait, wait. Sorry. I sorry. I just got really distracted because you were like, when you asked me, like, did you like that first Gloria record? And I'm like, Gloria? Gloria. You mean the Mineral Seven Inch? <laughs> did Gloria record name themselves oh, after their own be. record? It's gotta be. Did they name? Isn't the- that amazing? I did. I just never put that together. Yeah, I did that math once, and uh, <laughs> and I always meant I was in the presence of of. Uh, of Chris once, and it was like the one question I wanted to ask, and I couldn't. <laughs> uh, oh boy! Well, mineral. Here we are talking uh, about mineral. We yet talked again. about. We did a whole episode on mineral, so go back and listen to that. You with, could have a with lot friend of, of the pod, Kip from Pains of Being Pure at Heart. Yo, I, I saw Kip over the weekend. Did you? You did not mention. I that. did. did I say, didn't. I went to. Uh, did you say I hey? To... Why didn't you promote your episode as much as we wish you did? 
I did not say that, but <laughs> it was lovely to see him. He of was course, he's he works at, he works at my old cafe now, and it's it's wonderful to see him behind the counter. Did you ask he, him for a job? T- too soon. Um, <laughs> just like just like the world's worst employee, like I trained all of those people to be. Yeah, yeah. He like came out from behind the counter and sat down and talked to us while there's a line for me. (laughs) And I'm like instinctively like, dog, you got to get back to work. And then I'm like, like sit with me. Let's talk about uh, belong. Yeah. Um, Did, uh, did he, did he make you pay for your coffee? No, (laughs) I didn't pay for my coffee. It was the first time that I have it. Anyway, uh, Daniel, what do you, what do you got to plug besides things you're not allowed to talk about yet? Uh, most of the stuff I'm doing is I'm not allowed to talk about it. Um, Get out of here. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've got uh, the the show that I do on the JHS YouTube channel is called um, Totally Normal Behavior. Uh, we do it like once a month. It's just kind of a fun little uh, a fun little nerdery. We did like a really weird. We talked for an hour about a mystery pedal that we don't know what it is or why it exists for, and we never even played it. We just like talked about it, but it's like kind of fascinating. There was, um, there was an episode where you busted out. Like, I, I apologize. You're going to be like, I can't believe you don't, didn't remember the name of that pedal, but it was like the first prototype of some tape. Delay yeah. The first echo? ever echoplex. Right. The first ever echoplex. I watched that episode and I was like, this is my show. It's the loosest possible content (laughs) i loved every (coughs) second of it it's funny because like jhs is like this very professional you know organization and they like they do they do the show that they do every week and it's a really you know they have like three or four people on staff whose sole job is the show and you know it's done wonders for like the company and you know they're you know just sharing information it's very history based which i'm really into and you know it's very put together and the idea for a total normal, totally normal behavior was like basically Josh and I have had this like ongoing like video chat back and forth like two straight years now, and it was sort of like what if we just put this online basically like if we just like you know saved some of that rambling rambling at each other for um, you know for the public space so that's like a mid tier production which is to say that there's cameras and lights and real audio and whatnot. And then there's like an even looser version that Josh is doing now on Monday mornings where he's like literally just in front of his cameras, like his computer's webcam, just like like <laughs> reading Wikipedia pages and shit. <laughs> you know, it's funny because that's the whole origin story of, of our show oh, yeah. is that like mm. Dan and I would call each other daily and talk for 90 minutes about music. And it was like, man, it'd be great if other if we made other people listen to this too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, typical narcissistic yeah. behavior of like, other people should have to listen to this as well. Yeah, other people need to know what I think about the <laughs> People need to be. We have got good thoughts 100%. here. <laughs> no, like, yeah, this, sh- this show is funny because like, we've been trying to figure out, like, we were, you know, we're a few, a handful of episodes into it. We're still trying to figure out kind of really what the format is. Um, like, where we started somewhere and we kind of quickly realized that, like, we didn't quite like what we were, we, were, we felt like we were really forcing our own hands into, like, to, to, like, rushing past interesting things. And so this last episode, we are like, you know, I have this one pedal. It's got markings on it that shouldn't be on it. It's kind of like this weird, like Rosetta Stone. Like, is this this is this what it might be? Like this really early prototype of this thing. We don't know what this is, and we just talk about it for like an hour. And like, we're like asking a lot of questions of the viewers. So can anyone help? Does anyone know anything? And I think going forward, it's going to be a lot more of just kind of like. Um, finding a way to like engage the audience in the comment section in sort of like, Hey, let's go down a rabbit hole. 
together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I try to that. avoid, try to play as few pedals as possible. Of course. We got uh, um, to get Josh on the pod. Do it. He'll talk about um, fucking, what's his favorite record? It's the third Bush record. Oh, get out of here! <laughs> he loves that record. No, he doesn't. Oh man, that would be that'd be so it. fun. Yeah, the uh, oh, I, I have one last no. pedal question for you, Daniel. Um, what's your what's your favorite color line six pedal? <laughs> the, 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 this uh, it's the it's no go on. Wait, are we talking about like the big double uh, double yeah, yeah, yeah. ones? Oh, it's the modulation one that Justin Pearson uses. The brown one? The purple one? Is it purple or brown? Which one? No, it's it's per it's purple. Okay. All right. It's purple the one that cool. like J- he puts like synthotron he on puts, or something he, like he, that. And it just he, sounds he doubles like, them up. He has two of yeah. them, yeah. It's that it, one. Okay. I mean I funny I, enough. The DL four is fun, but I don't uh, I don't actually use funny, it. Funny so. funny enough that Justin Pearson's where the origin of that question came from. I think you I'm sure you've seen it. There's like yeah. that eight part video of going through his rig. Where yeah, for a while I didn't times. realize that the, the, the like the signature, the signature fucking locust noise was from the bass and not from like a synth, you know, and it's yeah, from him no, coupling yeah. the purple petals with that like three thousand dollar like never like holy grail pedal that he has the, the like the square wave modulator pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that he's like I shouldn't the, even be playing uh, this because like it's impossible to replace kind of deal. <laughs> But it's the entire backing of our sound. <laughs> but uh, we could we could talk for about forty. We could talk for about seven hours on just how fucking incredible the yeah. We are. can we could definitely come back with a with a Criminal. locust pod. Yeah, we should do criminally a, underrated. Oh, we should do a uh, we should do a triple a triple circling back on uh, on that first uh, that first locust record. I I love a locust so much. Um, the yeah. R.I.P. Gabe. One of the most talented drummers of all time, but um, I legit, <laughs> legitimately crushed. Yeah, sorry. The uh, but no, it, during that during that like rig rundown, he was like, "Yeah, we would go on tour, and we you know we'd have the purple line six pedals, and then we'd come across a band that had the blue ones, and we just like we always just like talked about like who had what color line six pedals and what kind of weird freaks they were, and it was just like so fucking funny because yeah, there's like brown ones too. I forget the whole like color series." Yeah, I mean, no one knows anyone other but the blue and the um, with the yellow ones, the distortion one, right? Is there? Yeah, there's. I think there's a yellow, there's a brown, there's a purple, and then obviously the green DL four. But there's it's so. I have to go with the Pearson one just because just because of Pearson. Classic. All right, Um, uh, where can people find you, Dan? uh, I if you just search Daniel Daniel Danger, I'm like the easiest person to find on the internet until actually until a German DJ started stealing all my Google search (laughs) optimization. I noticed Um, that. Yeah, this guy, like, you search my name, and then all of my work shows up, my information, and then his fucking photo. It does, um, isn't he, but if you, isn't he blue checkmark, though? Yeah, he got blue checkmark, which is funny, because <laughs> I have, like, three times as many followers as he does, I, and I've been working for, like, five times as long. So, when I was doing a little research on you, I'm so bad at knowing anything about our guests. Um, <laughs> when I was doing a little bit of research, I watched, you know, the, a, a couple JHS things. Uh, I watched a video that was you talking about flat stock. 
Yeah. And then watched a whole lot of those German rap videos. <laughs> yeah, so none of the new fucking ones. good. <laughs> it's unfucking hinge the shit that goes on in Germany. Dan, what do you got to plug? Oh boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at Dan Bassini on Twitter and Instagram, danbassini.com. My latest book, No Invite Volume 8, is out now and available, as well as a ton of other stuff for your buying pleasure. Uh, Andrew, what do you got to plug? <laughs> so, um, my my LinkedIn page is looking pretty good. You can find me at linkedin.com forward slash... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, pod stuff is always good. At Run Into The Ground on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, I put up a thing for questions. Nobody responded. No big Hell deal. Yeah. I'm not angry about it. <laughs> um, on Twitter, run into the number two, the ground. Um, I posed a really important question about Matt Pond's evening last night. Uh, I hope you read that. Um, Matt Pond is so good. Oh, he's so fucking. But just, so those, just those three albums. Mm. Just three like, albums. Can you imagine yeah, having three nature, good albums? Nature of Maps, Green Fury, and Emblems. And, I, and I, I'm out. Mm, do you go past that? that? I don't know. I gotta look. I'm not gonna. Do you um, go past the Starbucks song? (laughs) (laughs) I definitely don't have the Starbucks song. Uh, Let me. Here, look this up real quick. Oh, we're too late in the pod. We digging in the the map pond. Yeah, yeah. Too diving into the map pond. We'll save. We'll save the locust and map pond. (laughs) Man, I can't wait. And Texas is the reason for another part. Another episode. Shout out Norman Brannon. Hey, mm. Daniels, it was so much fun. <laughs> Daniels. Yeah, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, uh, all the fun stuff. Uh, it helps us keep doing it. Yeah. So do that for us. And Share it with your friend. Tell everyone. And then go listen Go listen to Plow United's first record, which is 18 minutes long, and then follow it up with the Swing Kids 10-inch. Uh, you could eat two um, sandwiches. Oh no, the, you go the, go the, you can go with done. the discography, yeah, discography LP, which is like 19 minutes yeah. long, and then um, and then the Tokyo Police Club Lesson in Crime because that's like another 17 minutes. That's a, You're in and out in an hour. A, you've got three records. That's a three in there. course meal. You <laughs> know, yeah. You got your your maybe, salad, your maybe, entree, and your dessert right there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. maybe if we're having cocktails on the porch later, yeah. listen to the Charles Bronson Youth Attack yeah. 10 inch. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you it's a good. Move. I don't want to derail this conversation further, but one day I was like, I was at a print shop up in um up in uh in uh, Portland, and I'm there, and then um. Uh, the, the the guitar player of Charles Bronson comes in and I'm like, holy shit! And he was just like so surprised because I don't think anyone ever has ever been like, oh shit, like the guitar player from Charles Bronson is in the room. I went to I went to college with the original bass player of Orchid, so I sort of get that. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, they're just local. They're just around. I see them all the yeah. time. Oh, boy. Yeah, we got to wrap this yeah. up. We're going to do- two night hole. We'll have to have nope. you back on, nope. Daniel. No. Nope. You're, you're, I'm going to keep dragging this you're out. You're going to keep dragging this out. <laughs> we got we to gotta talk about the Weston into beach slang transformation. No, I don't want oh. to. No, I, have I, 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 I absolutely don't yeah, want to. Yeah, we have to. We have to. We have to. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> There's Jeans a really, fun, really went off the rails. There's a really fun thing about uh, my, my bootleg copy of Logic is that if I go over two hours, it becomes this crapshoot about when it's going to just stop recording. Recording. so it's also a good out to keep these things vaguely timely <laughs> oh, sorry we'll have you All back right. we'll make it a patreon episode and we'll make people pay for it yeah, yeah. all that good western beach slang talk oh god yeah that's <laughs> keep in we're, mind a paywall we're all in, no, we're, a paywall so no one listens to that yeah 
we're all at risk of being Beach Lang's new drummer. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it could happen to so you. We're all gonna have our. T- <laughs> we're all gonna have our turn. Uh, sorry, I I, um, I don't want to mess with the star of the show. So oh, I would boy. never do that. All right, we gotta uh, we gotta get right. the fuck out of here. All right, all right everybody. Goodbye. Treat you like shit, then you love me forever